Good morning, Origins. Uh, happy Easter. Uh, before we get going, I just want to proclaim that He is risen. He's risen indeed. Today we celebrate the fact that Jesus didn't just die, but He also rose and He conquered the grave. And that is great news and worth celebrating. Um, if you are part of the Origins family, it is great to kind of see you or be seen by you. If you are not part of our family, it's great to see you too and be seen by you. Uh, welcome. Uh, thank you for tuning in. Um, a couple things to get out of the way, some really, really good news. Uh, we've been talking to everyone about looking for kind of that silver lining in things, things that God is doing. I, I did not get to share it last Sunday, but I will share it today. Uh, last week, uh, our six-year-old Liza um, amazingly gave her life to Jesus, and that was fun to see and fun to be a part of. It, it caught dad off guard. Uh, mom knew some things were going on, but I was kind of away that day, and so that night, um, when we were tucking, uh, tucking the kids in bed after we had kind of read a, a Bible story, uh, I bent over to kiss her. And as I was walking away, she said, Daddy, she said, I want to give my life to Jesus. And I was like, what? And so just a lot of neat things have occurred since then. Uh, Caleb, our, our oldest, our boy, he's nine. He said, let's baptize her in the bathtub. I said, no, we're going to wait until we get back together. So it's been a great time for the Elrods. And uh, I hope you guys have had some great takeaways as well. Uh, today, uh, we're going to do something for the first time, probably not the last, but it's something a little different. Um, we have been super hesitant to do uh, music um, when we live stream on Sundays just because uh, we didn't really want to take the risk of getting a bunch of people together in close proximity. We've been trying to be super cautious. Uh, the Bonners have gone above and beyond to make sure that things are sanitized before and after I get here, and I'm doing my part as well. And so we didn't want to run the risk of exposing people to things. Um, and so we were thinking, uh, the people of Israel have done something as far as worship goes for a long time before we ever got here. Uh, in Nehemiah chapter 8, we see that Nehemiah and Ezra, after the walls had been restored, uh, the people were gathered together, and this is what they did for worship. Wait for it. It's It's crazy they read the written word of God together. And by doing that, they were able to worship. Um, I know that uh, frequently, especially in the, in the past 10 to 15 years, there have, been, uh, there have been a lot of voices that say, I go to this church or I go to this church based on the style of worship. And we have, uh, as the church in the United States, maybe in other places too, but I can't speak to that, we have allowed our style of worship to define who we are. But we must remember that the style of worship does not define who we are. What defines who we are is who we worship. And it's not about style. And so today, what we're going to do is we are going to, uh, we're going to worship just by reading God's Word. Uh, we sent the bat signal out to some community group leaders and some other folks within Origins, and we asked them to do something very simple. Um, just record themselves reading some scripture aloud, um, and we would read along with them. And so uh, Bonfire has been great to take these videos and edit them and to get the scripture up on the screen as well. And so in the next minute, um, we're going to prepare ourselves. We're going to pray that we can worship like this together. Um, but you're going to see various faces from Origins reading scripture that is exalting God, that is exalting his plan, and that is uh, pointing our hearts towards Jesus today. So I'm going to pray. And as we do, I would invite you to pray too, uh, that God will lead you to a place of worship and uh, direct, your, direct your hearts to him so that when it's time to talk about the word today, uh, we're ready. Uh, so let's pray together. God, we love you. Uh, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that today we can celebrate a risen Savior. Um, we thank you that we can celebrate a father that loves his kids so much that he would go to the greatest lengths um, imaginable and actually beyond our imagination to make a way for us to experience hope, to experience forgiveness, 
to experience salvation and to share eternity uh, with Jesus. God, today we celebrate that. I pray over the next little while, and even though we're doing something that is different um, and it is worship, God, I pray that you would use it to direct our hearts, that you would use it to convict us of sin if necessary, um, but God, it would point us towards Jesus and it would bring us to a place that we can celebrate better and stronger and louder and we can resoundedly say together that God, you are good and you are worthy of our worship. Thank you for the people in Origins that have uh, volunteered of their time to record themselves leading us in scripture reading today. Um, and God, I pray that it would be a sweet offering to you. We love you. We thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we celebrate and we say, amen. So for the next little while, let's join together in reading God's word. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Today I'm going to be reading Ephesians 1, 3 through 10 from the ESV version. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Psalm 8, 1 through 9. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. From the lips of children and infants, you have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I considered your heavens, the work of your fingers and the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you're mindful of him? the son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. 
You made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet, all flocks and herds and the beasts of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea, all that swim the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, since we also have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us and run with endurance the race that lies before us. Keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that lay before him endured a cross and despised the shame and has sat down at the right hand of God's throne. Be encouraged, family. We love you. We miss you. Thank you guys for worshiping. I know that that was probably new for some of us. I hope uh, that you were able to feel a connection with God as we read his word and as we celebrated who he was uh, through the pages of his word. Uh, it's probably not the last time we'll do that. So be prepared. Uh, we will most likely be doing that again and again, we thank you guys for tuning in today. Um, so between last week and this week, from a timeline perspective, uh, a lot has occurred if we're looking at the Passion Week. Uh, hopefully you were able to worship with us by following along the guided reading plan that we sent out in the email. If you don't get that email, make sure to email us or reach out to us so that we can put you on that list. Um, but after Thursday, we, we read a story last week on Sunday about Jesus praying in the garden in which the weight of my sin, your sin, began to crush Jesus um, and he began to be emptied of his lifeblood, just like the olives in the place called Gethsemane were very frequently. Um, and after that, we saw that Jesus was turned over, uh, turned over for a mock trial. Uh, he was beaten. He was mocked. Uh, all of these things transpired uh, until he was actually put on the cross. In Matthew chapter 27, and this is just, I'm just reading this to catch us up. We're going to spend most of our time in Matthew chapter 28. But Matthew chapter 27, verse 32 tells us about the crucifixion, and I wanted to read through that um, with you guys. We're actually going to start in verse 45. It says, Now the sixth hour, which was about noon, there was a darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, This man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the others said, Wait. Let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again, and with a loud voice, he yielded up his spirit. He died. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, my favorite line in the narrative here. And the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs also were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of their tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there, looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him 
among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Joseph and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite of the tomb. And so on Friday, a dark day by all historical standards, Jesus was crucified. The same Jesus who the disciples had been following, who Mary and other Marys had been following, um, he was crucified. And all the things that he had told them about what would occur uh, right now, it seemed like they were almost forgotten. People just hadn't really figured out that he had been telling what would occur after he would die. Uh, right now, all that they knew was that this Jesus whom they had followed, this Jesus who had healed them, who had delivered them, who had taught them, who had ministered to them, who had saved them, he was dead. Today, um, yes, we mourn and we lament, like we talked about last week, the fact that Jesus died, that Jesus sacrificed himself because we couldn't fix ourselves. But today we celebrate the fact that that was not the end of the story. Today we're going to look at Matthew chapter 28. This account can also be found in the other Gospels, but just for simplicity's sake, we wanted to read it here, um, just in one place. And I want to read chapter 28, verses 1 through 10, and then we're going to come back together and talk about that just a little bit. But before we do, I want to pray uh, over God's Word that it would speak to us. Uh, I know that there are several of us listening this morning that, that are a part of the Origins family. You have called on the name of Jesus as your Lord. Uh, you've confessed your sin. You've believed on the power of the crucifixion and the resurrection. Um, but I have no doubt that there are some out there listening today, and, and you are what we talked about last week. You're a healthy skeptic, and that's okay. We're glad you're here. Um, but I want to pray that we all hear something today. I want to pray that we all hear truth from God's word and that at the end of it, we all have reason to celebrate. So let's pray together. God, we love you. Again, God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this story that is not just a story, but God contained in it is the answer for our hopelessness. Uh, God contained in these, these words and contained in this, uh, this account that we look at today, um, God, truth rests, hope rests, and victory is discussed and we can celebrate it. God, I pray that you would speak to all of us. Uh, for those who know you, God, I pray that you would bolster our faith. For those that are listening and hearing today that do not know you, God, in the name of Jesus, I pray that your spirit would convict and draw men and women unto yourself today. Uh, for the gospel is alive, it is well, and it is completely true and necessary for us to know you. I pray that you would move, that you would work. Uh, and God, we thank you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. Uh, now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings, or Shalom. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, 
Do not be afraid. Go, tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Man, this morning we get to share uh, an amazing story. Um, Easter is one of those, those Sundays in which uh, the pastor side of me never wonders what we're going to talk about. I always know that I get to share part of the greatest story ever told. That God came with skin on, was born as a man, lived a perfect life, taught us great truth, delivered people from sin and sickness and evil desires, and then he marched to the cross to die on our behalf. But that was not the end. He raised himself from the dead. Huge, huge ideas. Amazing story. I never wonder about what we're going to talk about at Easter because it's just such a great story that we can't stop talking about it. Today, what I want us to do as we talk about the story, I, I want us just for a minute to think about the place of these Marys because there were a couple in this place. There was Mary Magdalene. The other Mary was most likely the uh, Mary, the, the wife of Zebedee or the mother of James and John, but we don't know for sure. But either way, they were both Marys. We know that uh, these women, especially Mary Magdalene, had been ministering to Jesus uh, in Luke 8, we see that Mary Magdalene was a woman that once was um, captured and held captive by seven evil spirits, and Jesus released her from that. And from that moment on, her and several other women, it said they ministered to Jesus and the disciples. As a matter of fact, they provided for them out of their means. So the money that they had, they took it, and they took care of Jesus and the disciples. They ministered to Jesus, which is amazing. And, and even all the way up until the crucifixion, they were followers of Jesus. There were the 12 disciples, which were his, his inner circle, but then there were these others that followed Jesus. They were still disciples in that sense. Uh, Mary was one of those. And, and even she even watched the crucifixion unlike the 12 did, or the, the remaining 12, the 11 that were left, she even saw it. Because at the, in the middle of verse, or chapter 27, it says there were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among those whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. And so they were there, they saw it. And so this morning, I want us to think for just a minute about the position of their hearts, because they had been following Jesus, they had been serving Jesus, they loved him as a, a rabbi or a rabboni or teacher or master whom they loved, and they had just seen him die. Imagine that they had committed their lives to something, and even though they had heard his words that he was saying that he would come again, it hadn't yet dawned on them the truth and the validity of that statement. At this point, uh, they had to be just overcome with hopelessness, but their desire and their love for Jesus dictated that they go and serve him one more time. In this case, at the end of the Sabbath, when it was law lawful for them to do, um, at sunset on the first day of the week, which would be the Sabbath, uh, they would go and they would minister, or the end of the Sabbath, they would go and minister to Jesus by bringing fragrant offerings to his grave. And so they went with mourning in their hearts probably with a crushed spirit, but they knew they loved him enough to serve him. Now, I don't think that we're all sitting in a place like that because obviously we know what happens next. We just read it. Maybe you're hearing it for the first time, but I think that we can probably identify with hopelessness, I would, I would think. We've all probably been there. Maybe some of you today, you're, you're sitting there, you're listening, and you are in the midst of a similar feeling for a different cause, but of just hopelessness to where you feel like everything that you've worked for, you've poured your life into, it is, it is gone. It's loss. And you're just in this place of hopelessness. Mary, or the Marys, they were there. 
So it said that they went to the tomb. Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. So they're going there to mourn. They're going there um, out of service to Jesus. Uh, Even though they've been crushed, he's dead. They watched him die. But they get there and instead of finding a rock blocking the tomb, they find this angel who's brighter than anything they've ever seen sitting on the rock that's been rolled away. Imagine now, like trying to empathize for just a minute, like the hopelessness that they were feeling to now like the utter confusion. In the, in the place before he had spoken a word, imagine what they were thinking. Like, there's no way to know. There's no way for me to fully understand and comprehend what they're thinking. And so it goes from there. His appearance is light, uh, like lightning. His clothing is white as snow. He's radiant. In another translation, it says that they are dazzling. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. The guards that had been placed there to prevent disciples from stealing the body of Jesus, because that's what they thought was going to happen. Um, It says that they were like dead men. They were so scared. They were stiff as a board. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. In another translation, uh, it says, Uh, why are you seeking the living among the dead? And I love that line so much. He says, I know why you're here. You're seeking this Jesus uh, who was crucified. He is not here for he is risen, as he said. So imagine the, the transition from going from hopelessness to mourning to just utter confusion to now this angel who is shining so bright. He says, this Jesus whom you seek, this Jesus whom you've served, this Jesus whom you've loved, this Jesus who you came to serve one more time, He's not here. Why are you seeking the living among the dead? He's not here. He's not dead. He's risen. Imagine the change in their hearts that's occurring. Just like the story we talked about last week, there's no way that we can think about the place of Jesus without it causing some stirring or some moving in us. If we are empathizing with these Marys well, there's no way that we can't just feel the the utter emotional turmoil that is going on within them from hopelessness to chaos to Oh my goodness, he's not here. It says, he is not here for he is risen. As he said, come and see where he lay. The angel even says, he's not here, he's risen. Come look, come look where he was. Come and look inside the tomb of the rich man, Joseph of Arimathea, that gave it to Jesus. That had hewn it out of the rock for himself, but instead gave it to Jesus. Come and look where Jesus was laying because he's not here. He's not here. Imagine, imagine the biggest turnaround from hopelessness to hope being restored. I mean, it's the biggest 180 we can imagine from being utterly hopeless to watching everything that you have loved poured your life into, followed with everything that you had, dying and thinking that, that he was dead and gone, having days to, to sit on that and to marinate in that to now going to that place where you're going to mourn and serve one more time to find out that he's not dead after all. Imagine the way in which their hope was rising just as Jesus did from the grave. Man, I think there are several lessons that we can learn from this particular passage, but overall about the resurrection in general. And I think that uh, the first lesson that we need to learn is that no matter what we think, Eternally, hope is really not lost if we know that Jesus has risen from the grave.
no matter your circumstance, no matter the darkness of your day, hope is not really lost. The hope, just like the hope in these women, uh, in you, it can rise, it can come back, it can be brought back to fruition just by knowing that Jesus, Jesus conquered death. So after they were after they were shown, come see the place where he lay, it said this, the angel said, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and behold, he's going before you to Galilee, there you will see him and see I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb in fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. Before we get to verse 9, like already things had gone from, from 0 to 60 very quickly, from hopelessness to hope being restored, um, from hope being restored to such a place that they were willing to run and go and do what they were told by an angel that they had never seen before, but an angel that was telling them exactly what they needed to hear. And so things were already good, but they're about to get better. In verse 9, it says, And behold, or look, Jesus met them and said, Greetings, or peace be with you, or shalom, maybe. And they came up and took hold of his feet, and they worshipped him. Like, I don't know to what lengths your heart can go to put yourself in their shoes, but imagine their joy going from struggling and flickering to just exploding. Because this Jesus whom they had loved was no longer dead. He was alive. The beauty of the resurrection tells me that there is great hope in Jesus. There is great hope in Jesus. Um, and we see the hope play out in two ways. The first way that we see it play out in these women is as they came up and took hold of his feet and they worshiped him. They worshiped him. I think it's important for us to note that if we're thinking about what does the resurrection mean to us, like we have to understand that uh, it's telling us that not only has sin been beaten by the death of Jesus, um, but death has been beaten as well. And by death, I mean like the eternal kind of death uh, that scripture would allude to in John 17, 3. John 17, 3 kind of defines death, death by contrast when it says that this is eternal life that they may know you the one true God and your son whom you've sent. So we're promised eternal life because we know God through Jesus. And in contrasting to that, we can understand what eternal death is. Eternal death is being separated from God because we do not know him relationally and intimately. We have to understand that when we're looking at the resurrection, the thing that it means to us, the way that it brings hope, restores hope, lets hope rise just like Jesus, is we have to understand that not was just sin beaten, but death was beaten. Because Jesus conquered death, we can now have eternal life. And that's amazing. Like we can have eternal life, something else that we did not deserve. Like by grace, we can have eternal life. And that life can be with God Almighty for eternity. From the moment we enter into that covenant relationship for the rest of all of it, we can have eternal life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that uh, if anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. We can have the newness of life that Jesus promises because of the resurrection. Because of the resurrection. Romans 10.9, it tells us that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, we got to watch our daughter do that just a week and a half ago, and you believe uh, that God raised him from the dead, 
you will be saved. Man, that belief in God raising Jesus from the dead and confessing Jesus as Lord, it leads to us seeing hope rebirthed, hope being made new, going from death to life, just like we see Jesus do here in the resurrection. But I think there has to be a, a, a contrast here made because I think that there are, uh, we can understand um, the resurrection in one of two ways. We can believe it from a history standpoint. We can believe that it happened from, from that standpoint, like, yes, these are facts. Or we can believe it in such a way that it leads us to do these two things, the first of which is worship. Like, if we believe in it enough to the point that we are confessing Jesus is Lord, that he has control and rule over my life, and we are believing that God raised him from the dead in our heart to the point of salvation, granting us eternity, I think that naturally it's going to lead us to worship. But if we're just, if we're just believing it from a history standpoint, I don't know that it's going to lead us to do a whole lot. We're just believing in a story. We're trusting in a story. But here, instead, we're trusting in a Savior. We're trusting that Jesus' life, His words, His death, and His resurrection have offered me a way to be made right with God. And that should lead me to worship. Look at what happened when the women saw Jesus. He popped up, and, and it's almost like he said, hello, but it was, really, it was probably more like peace be with you or greetings. And the very first thing they did is they threw themselves down at his feet. They wrapped up his feet, and they just began to worship. It's because they believed in the life-giving power of the words, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus to the point that it gave them newness of life, and it moved them to worship. It moved them to worship. Are we believing in the resurrection to that degree? Are we placing our heart in it, our life in it, to such a degree that when we think about it, it makes us tell God that He's great, that He's good, He's worthy of our life. He's worthy of our words. He's worthy of our adoration. He's worthy of our time, our money, our hearts, our family, because that's worship. The resurrection declares, the resurrection declares that sin has been beaten, death has been beaten, and if we are truly believing in it, placing our trust in that, it should move us to worship. It should move us to worship. Here's the second thing that it does. And this is really neat because I, I think that this started way before we see the resurrection. I think it started even at the promise of Jesus to come and what he was going to do. Even if we go all the way back to some shepherds in a field who were watching their flock and some angels appeared singing to God Almighty and singing about Jesus who was coming. I think the very first thing that we saw them do, they went to Joseph, they went to Mary, and they went and told. They were, they, it was like a go and tell it. You know, even the song that we sing, go and tell it on the mountain at Christmas time, same thing. They were going and they were telling. Look at this passage. As soon as they had seen, uh, look, I want to show you where he laid. He's not here. Why are you looking for the living amongst the dead? It said, uh, then go quickly and tell his disciples. They were told the first time, go and tell. And they went. It didn't say that they, they sat there for a little while. They wanted to examine it a little more. It didn't say any of those things. No, it just says that they went quickly. They ran because they saw the proof of the resurrection. They saw the assurance of the resurrection, and they were beginning to understand all the things that Jesus had said. And their hope was being restored. And so they ran quickly to tell, go and tell. And then they see Jesus. They come up. And they took hold of his feet and they worshiped him in verse 9. And then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and they will see me there. Again, go 
and tell. And they did. They went and they told. They ran quickly to tell the disciples. In the other gospels, we can see the things that transpired. We can see that, that Thomas wasn't there at one point and he doubted. And Thomas said, if, unless I touch the scars in his hands and his side, I won't believe. And so Jesus sees him. He says, look, Thomas, touch and see and believe. That's great that you believe that you've, you've seen, but there are those who believe and they haven't seen. They're blessed. You'll see that there was a, a restoration that took place with Peter because he had denied Jesus. We see all of these beautiful things, but it culminates here in verse 16 in chapter 28. After these women had been told to go and tell, they went and they told. And it says in, in chapter, six, or chapter 28, verse 16, it says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. And Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, tell, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, or don't worry, or look, I am with you always to the end of the age. If we have placed our hope in the resurrection of Jesus, the life and the death and the words of Jesus, if we have looked on that to the place to where it assures us that not only has sin been conquered, but death has been conquered, if it has been allowed to restore our hope, if we are believing in it to such a degree that we're just not believing in the history of it, but we're placing our trust in it, yes, it will make us worship, but it will make us go and tell. It must. It's a story that must be told. It's a story that contained in the belief in this story. For faith comes through hearing that rests hope for all of mankind. We must go and tell. These women had placed their trust in Jesus to such a degree that when they were told to go and tell, they didn't hesitate. They went and they told. They worshiped and they went and they told. These disciples standing on the side of this mountain they had placed their trust so deeply, so heavily. They had believed in the resurrection to such a degree, not just the history of it, but the heart attachment to it, that when Jesus left them with a mission, what did they do? They waited for the power that was given to them by the Holy Spirit, and they immediately began to go and tell because the resurrection was real. It was understood. It was captured in their hearts. What does the resurrection mean to us? It means now we can worship and now we can go and tell. So maybe, maybe you've never thought of the power that rests in the belief in Jesus and Jesus alone, in his life, his words, his death, and his resurrection. Maybe you're one of those healthy skeptics that have returned this week, maybe just to hear truth that you were unaware of. And today I can tell you that there's power in the resurrection. Power uh, to remind us that sin has been beaten, death has been conquered. God conquered the impossible so that we could know him. If we just do as Romans 10 tells us, that if we confess Jesus as Lord and we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. You can be saved. You can have the same hope restored, hope made new, new life that these women experienced. You can go from zero to 60 like that. And you can be free to worship, free to tell God that he's good, 
in spite of circumstance. Free to tell God that you trust him in spite of circumstance. Free to call Jesus Lord. Leave your sin, choose him over that. You're free. And then not only are we free to worship, now we are privileged to go and tell. Maybe today you've you've believed in, in the resurrection from a history standpoint, but you need to believe. Like, take hold of it. Trust in it. Understand that through this resurrection, we are offered hope eternal in the person, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus and Jesus alone. And you can worship and you can tell. That story, this beautiful story, guess what? It's also found in every life of a believer. The same death that Jesus died, while not as grotesque and as painful, we get to die. We get to die to our sin and we get to be raised in the newness of life. It's what baptism is symbolic of. We get to enter into that when we turn from our sin and choose Jesus. Trusting in his life, his death, his resurrection to make us right eternally with God. That story, it rests in our story. When we talk about what was my life like before Jesus, I I was without hope. What did he do to grab my attention? He pointed out my sin and pointed me to the cross. How did I respond? I confessed him as Lord. I returned from my sin and I believed that God raised him from the dead. How has my life been like? What has my life been like since? Ups and downs, but I've been trusting him throughout. In Corona, out of Corona, all of those things, I've been trusting Jesus. Has it been flawless? No. But has it been good? Yes. For he is working together for the good of all those called according to his purpose. Can you worship as a result of the resurrection? Can you go and tell as a result of the resurrection? Because that's what it means to us. It can mean that to you. Man, today we celebrate a risen Savior who didn't sit in the grave, who did what he said that he would do and that only he could do because according to John 3, 16, God loved us so much that he sent his only son that whosoever would believe in him would would not perish but would have eternal life. And today we celebrate that. And that is big. It's the biggest. If you want to celebrate that for the first time, we would, I would love to hear from you. Um, any of our, our leadership would love to hear from you. If, if you know a community group leader, they would love to hear from you. We would love to talk to you about what that means. If you are a follower of Jesus, uh, we want to celebrate together. We want to celebrate with the fullness of the church even while we're apart. Man, worship and tell. Worship and tell. I think if we're doing those two things, the resurrection is real to us. The resurrection's been realized. The resurrection has been, man, grabbed and held onto. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the power of the resurrection. We thank you for the name of Jesus. Without whom, God, we could not know you. We could not be made right with you. Uh, We could not be united with you for eternity, but God, I thank you that we can. I thank you that you loved us enough not to leave us alone or to even leave Jesus in the grave, but you wanted to raise us both, him first and us second. 
God, I pray today for salvation to be realized for those uh, that do not yet know you that are listening. And I pray for those of us who do know you as a result of us going and telling because of the, the truth and the beauty of the resurrection and worshiping you. God, I pray that many would come to know you. I thank you for hope that is restored in Jesus, in Jesus alone. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. I want to say thank you guys for being with us today. Um, thank you for celebrating with us. Um, I would encourage you to not stop celebrating. This resurrection is not something that we celebrate once a year. It should uh, permeate the very uh, being of who we are. That because of Jesus, we can know God and be known by God. It's worth celebrating. If you need anything, in the meantime, we would love for you to email us or go to our website at originsgreenville.org and click on that prayer tab and let us know how we can pray for you or if you have needs that need to be addressed, we want to help. Um, we believe that the church is better than any other organization out there because we're not an organization, we're a family. Uh, we're better than any of those to take care of the people. And so we want to be able to do that. If you have a need, let us know. And if we can meet it, we will. Um, we are praying for our people. Um, we are trying to reach out to as many of you as possible to make that connection. Uh, if you need anything, please let us know. Uh, we love you. Thank you for being with us today. And let's celebrate Jesus well. Have a great week.